Okay, so continuing our study of the Dhammapada with verse number 18. Today I've brought out a bigger book. This is the commentary on the Dhammapada. And so it has the same verses, but it also has the stories. Because today's story has a bit of an bit of a problem to it. But it's a very simple story and the verse itself is very much the same as the past three verses. So this one is Ida Nandati Pecha Nandati Katapunyo Ubayata Nandati Punyang me katanti nandati Biyo Nandati Sugating Katoti Sugating Kato. So here she is blissful and hereafter she is blissful or or has joy katapunyo the person the doer of goodness uh, rejoices in both places or is blissful in both places punyang me katanti thinking i have done good she rejoices. Biyo nandati sukatingato. And even more she rejoices having gone to heaven. So I use the feminine here. There's no need to use the masculine all the time. But specifically here, we're talking about a woman. It's a daughter of Anattapindika. And Anattapindika was one of the Buddha's chief lay disciples. And he would go to see the Buddha every day. And various reasons. The first one is, of course, to listen to the Buddha's teaching. But he would never go and ask the Buddha to teach on this subject or that subject, because he would always think, oh, the Buddha is, has so much work and he's a prince and he's very delicate and I will, or he's, he's a very special person, so I won't try to tire him. Uh, so he wouldn't ask. And the Buddha would never, would never, uh, the, the Buddha would, wouldn't, wouldn't where he wouldn't be concerned about this, the Buddha would just look at the Natapindika and know what Anattapindika needed to hear, and so he would give a talk anyway. So Anattapindika would go and listen to the Buddha's teaching every day. Anattapindika means one who gives food, who feeds the poor, who feeds those without any refuge, Anatta. Uh, so he was a very great and very rich man as well. So he, he was a, an example of a good rich person. Which is which does exist in the world even today. He was one such person who was very, a very good sort of person. Another reason is he'd go to feed the monks. Whenever anybody wanted to feed the monks, they would bring Anattapindika along because he was, he knew the monks very well. So either he or Visaka, who was this other female lay disciple, would bring them along. He was very busy and certainly also busy with his work. And so he he had his daughter, his eldest daughter. Uh, stay at home, and if monks came to the house, that she was to give them food and to listen to their teachings. And so she would give them food and then listen to their teachings, and she, as a result of practicing the teachings that she got, she became a sotapanna. And then, having having grown up, she went off to, um, she got married and went off to her husband's home and left home. And so he passed the job on to his second daughter, and the same thing happened. She also became a Sotapanna, uh, but she also was old enough to go off and get married again. Then we come to the third daughter, 
And the text says that uh, having listening sapana dhammang sutva, having listened to the Dhamma, she not only became a sotapana, but she became a sakidagami, sakadagami, which is the second stage. Sakata means with only one rebirth. So she was almost uh, to the point where she had no more greed, no more anger. Her mind was very pure. And at most she would come back once to this world before becoming enlightened. And then it says something that the, the English translator interprets as uh, she was upset, being, being so upset because she, didn't, she couldn't find a husband. The other two found husbands, but she couldn't find a husband. And she was so upset that she stopped eating. But that's, as far as I can see, that's not what this says. It says, Kumari Kava Hutva, having been verily having been a young girl, but it could also mean an un unmarried girl, but it, it, it most likely just means that she was very young. Uh, she was afflicted by a by such a disease. So I don't know what such a disease is. It's not quite clear. And for that reason she stopped eating. She got very sick. Probably she was young and uh, had some some sickness of being young. So having stopped eating, she wished to see her father. So she was at the point, basically she was at the point where she was about to die. Wanting to see her father, she sent someone to the monastery where of course he was listening to the Dhamma. And, uh, no, he was, he was uh, giving dana, giving, uh, giving food to the monks. But when he heard the, the call, he immediately went back home and asked, asked her, uh, what is it, Sumana? Sumana was, was her name. What, what's wrong? And Sumana was, was on the point of, of death. And uh, so I guess she didn't hear him quite well. And she said, what did you say, younger brother? And he was shocked. This is her father, of course, right? And he said, are you, are you deranged? <laughs> are you, are you, have you lost, like, Chunda the pork butcher? Have you... Are you, uh, is your mind unclear? And she said, no, no, my mind is not deranged, younger brother. And then he said, he didn't know what was, what was, what is this? She's calling him younger brother. And, and he said, are you afraid? Uh, because he figured maybe she's so afraid that she's going, going a little bit hallucinating or isn't able to recognize her own father. And she said, no, I'm not afraid, younger brother. And with those words, she she passed away. Balamakasi, she did her time, made her time, which means died. And so, even being a sotapanna, Anattapindika was also a sotapanna. He had been practicing the Buddha's teaching for quite some time. And even though he was a sotapanna, so he was someone who was who was quite meditative. He still couldn't bear uh, bear to hear this because uh, of what she was saying. And so he started crying, and he went, to, or he was he, weeping, and he went to see the Buddha. And the Buddha said, "How is it, Anattapindika, that you are crying in this way?" Anattapindika said, uh, "My my younger daughter has has passed away, my youngest daughter." And the Buddha said, "Well, so you know, don't haven't you been listening? Everyone has to die. She passed away, and 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 that's you know that's just part of life." And he said, "Yes, I know, I understand that, but." She her what what makes me so sad is that even though she was such a good girl 
and uh, you know, very conscientious and very kind to everyone and, uh, and, and quite interested in, in the Buddha's teaching. Still, when she died, she was totally deranged. She was, her mind was not clear. I'm afraid of where she may have gone. And the Buddha said, that's not why she... That's, or he said, why, why do you think she was deranged? And, and Anattapindika said, well, he, she called me younger brother. And the Buddha said, well, you are her younger brother. And he said, how is that? And the Buddha said, well, she has become a Sakitaka. I mean, she is older than you in the paths and fruition. So because of her attainment of becoming a Sakitaka, I mean, you are her younger brother as, as only a Sotapanna. So it seems like she may have actually been trying to give some teaching to Anattapindika to say to him, look, you're still only a Sotapanna. You should work hard to, to get to the higher path. And he said, and, and the Buddha said, and now she's gone to, and then Anattapindika asked, where has she gone? And he said, uh, the Buddha says she's gone to Tusita, the heaven where all the future Buddhas live and uh, the Buddha's mother now resides. And he said, is that, is that the case? How, wow, she was, she was happy here and doing good deeds here and now she's rejoicing up in heaven. And the Buddha said this verse as well, in the same way, it's just the same verse that he always would say, but changed a little bit, ida nandati, pecha nandati, and so on. That yes, it's, the, it's true, even uh, they, they rejoice here and rejoice hereafter. The word nandati, so last time we had modati, modati means to rejoice, it's the same as mudita, mudita means joy, when we have joy for someone else's good deeds rejoicing in other people's good deeds. It comes from the word, mo the same root as modati. Here we have nandati. Nandati means joy or, or bliss or, or uh, the same sort of idea. So, the story is very sim simple and the, the lesson is very similar to the ones we've gained. I'd like to talk about is, is punya. So, just talk a little bit about what it means by punya because we might wonder uh, how this relates to us, right? Here we are in a meditation center. We're not out there in the world. We're not like Anatta Pindika giving gifts to the poor, giving, giving alms to the poor. We're not even out there uh, giving dana or, or giving food to, to monks or, or to supporting the Buddhist teaching. We're not even listening to or reading or studying the Buddhist teaching. And we have, actually we are, no? We have a, a sutta every day. But we're not... Uh, we're not doing hardcore hard studying, you just have one story every day. So how is it that we're doing good deeds here? So I think the answer is, should be fairly obvious that we're practicing meditation. But it sometimes doesn't feel like that. It feels like you're sitting here, and what good am I doing? Sitting here, torturing myself, having to deal with the chaos in my mind, and the pain in my back, and the mosquitoes, and the leeches. Only getting to eat once a day and so on. Well, I mean the answer is not difficult, and if you study Buddhism, it's easy to understand. Goodness, of course, exists in the heart, and so when we talk about goodness, we always say dana, charity is goodness, sila, morality is goodness, and bhavana, mental development is goodness. Uh, but even even with charity, what it means is giving up. Dana means means giving, but in a Buddhist sense, means giving up. It has to do with greed the giving up of greed. So here you you are in, in a place where you can't uh, indulge in any of your desires. And when the desire comes up, you're forced to look at it and, and 
and become objective about it and to see the, the greed for what it is, the wanting, wanting entertainment, wanting this or wanting that, wanting good food, wanting a nice bed, wanting to sleep more, right? wanting to... Uh, so many types of pleasure. Uh, but you can't have them, and by by looking at them and by being you know forcing yourself to stay strong with them, you're giving them up. And this is what you should be able to feel: is that actually your mind is becoming straighter. This crookedness that comes from clinging, right? Clinging is like this. This looks like clinging. This is the hand crooked. But if the hand is straight, it can't cling to anything. And the mind is the same. In order to cling, it has to get all twisted out of shape, all bent out of shape. When the mind is straight. As the Buddha said, the straightening of the mind, it can't cling to anything. Nothing, nothing clings to it. So this is really what we're doing is the greatest dana, the greatest gift that we could ever possibly give. We're giving, uh, we're giving freedom from, from our defilements to all beings. And we're giving the world a great gift, is our purity. So because we don't have the greed in our mind, because we train ourselves out of this to not need so much, we yeah. less and less, and even if if we get to the point of sumana or, or the arahants that we've been talking about, then we won't need anything, and our lives will be uh, a blessing to the world. And the same goes with anger. The reason why we practice morality is is to give up anger. So, so the same goes with morality. Morality is is not so that we can brag about it or so we can feel proud that we're keeping. Precepts, but it's to stop our minds from becoming angry, basically, by not hurting, by not uh, saying nasty things, or by not creating suffering for others. Uh, we're giving up our um, our nasty, our evil, the evil that we have inside. And say, and with bhavana, uh, with bhavana, the purpose as well is to give up uh, the defilements. In this case, delusion. The, reason, the real reason why we practice men, uh, meditation is not to give up greed and not to give up anger. Because you can give those up with, with an ordinary meditation, maybe uh, tra transcendental meditation or so on, but delusion can't be rooted out. If you practice loving-kindness meditation, you can get rid of your anger. If you practice um, mindfulness of loathsomeness, dead bodies and so on, you can get rid of your lust. But to get rid of delusion, you have to practice... Uh, vipassana, true, true bhavana. Uh, you have to look at, at reality and look at these things. Look at desire, look at uh, anger, but also look at the objects of your desire. Look at the things that you cling to. And so by doing this, we're going. our minds are going to become perfectly developed. And as I talked about in the one about the rain coming in through the roof, uh, you, you, can, you can cover it over with concentration. Your mind can be completely secure from from greed and anger, but you can never secure it from delusion. So in order to secure it from delusion, you actually have to take the roof off and, and be open to, to the whole world, the whole sky. And as a result of being open and, and understanding just everything, so that whatever comes in, you understand it and you see it for what it is. Uh, there's no partiality, no categorization, you see things for what they are. You see things as impermanent. And don't see anything as, oh, this is going to last and this is going to be, be satisfying to me. Right? You don't see things as satisfying. You see things as unsatisfying. You see it, at least what it, it's, 
not going to satisfy me. Why? I've seen it. It comes, it goes, it comes, it comes. And so you let go of things. You don't say, this is me, this is mine. You don't think of it as controllable because you've seen how uncontrollable it is. By seeing this and seeing it repeatedly, the mind eventually lets go and gives up. And the mind is able to, to live anywhere. The Buddha, there's a famous story that actually the Buddha, the whole idea of, of, of uh, covering up is not... Uh, not, the, not a good not a good metaphor. So the, the best thatched hut is actually where you throw the roof off because there's a story, this man, he's, he's saying, ah, oh, you can rain if you want because my roof is well thatched. And the Buddha said, you can rain if you want, I don't have a roof. Uh, he was talking simply about the fact that he could stay under a tree or out in the middle of the field even and let it rain because he has no attachments. But for the mind, it should be the same. The mind should be able to encounter anything without any uh, prejudice. So in the beginning, this will take concentration. It's true that you have to... First, you do have to push away some of the, the, the problems. Well, you can't deal with them all at once. Once you push them away, then you slowly bring them back. You slowly look at them. So someone who practices samatha, for example, they will push everything away, and they'll feel real bliss and calm but the purpose of samatha meditation is not to feel bliss and calm. It's to give you the, the, the space, you know, push everything out of the way, so you can slowly pick things one by one and look at them. Once you practice samatha, you should then open your mind up, reflect back on the five aggregates, the khanda. If you don't ever focus on the khanda, you will never understand dukkha satcha. You'll never understand the four, four noble truths. So even after practicing samatha, you have to come back. You have to pull the roof off. Uh, slowly and, and begin to look until finally you don't need the roof at all. You can have the roof, not have the roof. But true mental development is is uh, the opening up of the heart and uh, keeping the mind perfectly balanced and and centered, but uh, but letting be, You're open to anything, open-minded. Okay, so. That's talking about goodness, so I think it should be clear that what we're doing here is the greatest goodness. And what that means is that as you're practicing, even now today, yesterday, today, the day before, and so on, you're changing as, as people, and your minds are changing, and you'll never go back, you know, unless you decide, I'm going to be an evil person again, you can go back. But this is something that you carry with you, and this is what the Buddha said, be your you will go to goodness and you'll find this that your mind is purer now and your whole life will be better and as I've said before people often misunderstand this they think and people who practice meditation also do uh, people who are traditional Buddhists they think this and they hear this oh meditation is good good punya so they go and practice meditation when they finish they think now I'll get rich or now I'll have this and then sometimes horrible things happen Sometimes when people finish practicing meditation, they get hit by a car, or <laughs> break a leg, or lose all their money or something. It can happen like that. And it can actually happen because of the meditation, because it's what you're doing is clearing out so much garbage uh, that the only thing that's left is the really strong ones. And really strong bad karma that was just waiting or had no opportunity can actually get an opportunity as a result. But once it has the opportunity, it's finished. And 
the point being that the goodness that comes from it is, is the goodness in your heart. You stop thinking so much about my suffering, my happiness. And you start thinking about my purity, my impurity. Because you know where happiness and you know where suffering come from. Some people who practice meditation can go back and have a great amount of suffering. You know, obviously people before they meditate also have a lot of a great amount of suffering. But the difference is that after you practice meditation, whether it's suffering or whether it's, it's pleasure, that the mind doesn't suffer. The mind suffers far less. And as a result of, of, of being pure, the result of the meditation, you know, obviously that evil that happens to you has nothing to do with the meditation. The meditation sometimes clears the way for it to come. It can also clear the way for good things to come. But what you'll find after you meditate is certainly you, you get the results of karma actually quite quicker because your mind, your whole universe is much purer. But the point being that the goodness that comes from the meditation and then the goodness that you give to others has, has an incredible power. It takes time. It can often not come in. It takes time. Maybe it doesn't come in this life. Uh, but, but even the part that doesn't come in this life, it's an incredible power that's building up inside of you. And it's going to show itself in, in your next life and in all lives to come. But, uh, you know, also a very important thing is that you actually you do generally, or you, you always do, get some goodness in this life. A person who does good deeds is never without. It's not like you have to wait until your next life to get any, any benefit. What you, what you start to feel as you practice meditation, as you do any goodness, is what the Buddha said, katang me punyang, I have done good. And you start to feel good about yourself. Because before I practiced meditation, there wasn't much good about myself that I could feel proud of. But once you practice meditation, you, you, you know for yourself that you're doing something great for the world. Not only for yourself, but also for the whole of, of the universe, really. As I said, by giving people protection from your defilements. You're making the world a better place. You're doing the training that, is, that all beings should undergo. The training that's necessary to be uh, kind and compassionate and, and generous and helpful and beneficial to the world. Because without wisdom, the, the, there's only a very limited amount of benefit that you can give to the world. It's with wisdom that you're able to solve people's problems and give people answers and generally bring uh, clarity to yourself and to other beings, to the whole world. So really we're doing, you're, you're doing a great thing here. And uh, I'd like to express my appreciation and give you encouragement. And not to be discouraged by the fact that it seems impossible or it seems to be going very slowly. Because it's very difficult to see sometimes. And there's a lot of baggage still carrying around that you have to be patient with. It's not going to just fall off in one day. Uh, but the results are actually very, very, very uh, have a great power to them. That's not evident in the beginning. And it becomes maybe more evident when and if you leave or when you start to go out and teach others or help others. You can see that it's incredible what you're able to give as compared to what you're able to give before. Or the purity of mind that you bring to any situation as opposed to the impurity that you would bring before. So that's the end of these four verses. The next two verses are actually quite different. And that's the next story, it has two verses. After those two verses, we finish the Yamaka Varga, the first, the first chapter of the Dhammapada. So, almost done one of, I think, 22, 23 chapters. Eventually we'll get through them all. So, thanks for listening and 
back to meditation.